It's built on a promise, written in blood, spilled from the hands that sculpted mountains. It's a foundation made to sustain an eternity of hope and infinite glory rising from the knowledge of and belief in our everlasting creator, a faith that doesn't waver. It is on this rock that we build our lives. When the winds come and the waves break upon the shores of our lives, we remain rooted in truth. Hardships, hostility, and heat waves are of no consequence when compared to the hope harbored in the hearts of the chosen. We may bend, but we are never broken. We are, each of us, testaments to the miraculously unshakable. The flowers of grace sprouting from the ashes of yesterday. We are the building blocks of his temple, held together by the mortar of his love and perfect will. Standing firm and holding fast, we outlast the storms that beat upon our walls and seek to bring us to rubble and despair, for we are set with care upon the foundation of his name, the name of Jesus. Solid and strong, unyielding to the tempests and torments, a fortress of hope and holiness in this broken world. Sound and stable, we stand secure in the sun. We are the Unshakables. I'm thankful for was uh, basically as we were um, going around um, thinking of things. I was thankful for um, our family. We have family in town, um, uh, uh, Marlon B's sister. So that is not uh, B over there. For those of you who know B, she did not dye her hair. Okay, that's uh, B's sister, Marlon, and our nephew Caleb. Okay, so we were um, thankful to have family in town. I was also um, thankful um, for our church family. Um, again, um, I guess what called now three three years ago uh, we did not have a family um, here in Chicago. It was um, again, Joseph and Erica in a corner um, playing a guitar. Where's Joseph? Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, <laughs> like it was Cole, you know, out on um, like doing everything he could to preach, evangelize, and um, see the city one to Christ. And it was like um, the Menkins, you know what I mean, in our bedroom, like doing children's ministry. Thank you for that. You know, so it was great. But now we have a family, and it's so good. So we're thankful for you. Can everybody say thank you for one another? Okay, everybody thankful for this church family? Okay. And then I was also thankful, um, and this will lead into the... Uh, message for today. I was thankful, most especially, that Jesus uh, saved my life from the pit of hell, okay? Now, I don't know that uh, many people, like, think that way <laughs> on a regular basis, but I do, um, because I did not grow up in the church, and it makes me want to cry, but, like, I will try not to today, okay? The um, point is, is that because I did not grow in the, up in the church, I have a sensitivity um, towards not having um, the experience of having the Bible preached to me, um, having a family like this where I could get daily encouragement, uh, where I was being encouraged uh, daily to do the wrong things rather than the right things in God. And so um, when I was thinking about what I was thankful for, we were actually going around the uh, table at our um, home talking about the things we were thankful for. And that's the first thing that popped out of my mouth because it's always right there on my, on my heart. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for his sinless life. I'm thankful for his replacing my wrongdoing with his right doing. I'm thankful for his cross. I'm thankful for his resurrection from the dead. And as we go into the Christmas season, I think that I'd like to um, continue 
continue our unshakable series uh, by talking about uh, what we were going to talk about anyway, but with the theme of thankfulness um, <clears throat> in this regard. We're talking today about um, evangelism and world missions as part of the foundations of our faith. Okay, We know that Jesus, when he left the earth, he said, go into all the earth, into every nation and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, the thing, though, that I'd like to do as a theme is talk to you a little bit about um, an encouragement that you can have, because I think we have all heard a message like that before. We should preach. We should evangelize. We should reach out. But a lot of times we don't have the encouragement that it can actually work. Okay. You, you understand what I mean? I mean, it's not that we don't, we would never say it off of our lips that we don't think it can work, but in our heart of hearts, we don't really act as if it will. And I'm just here just to be an object representation today of a testimony of the fact that it does work. It does work because I did not grow up in the church. I did not grow up knowing Jesus, but I, hear, I stand here today thankful, thankful that Jesus saved my life. Thankful that somebody who was a Christian, just like you and I in the church today, reached out to me with the gospel. And because of that, my eyes were opened. I was turned from death to life, from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. And the testimony of God will continue through the friends and family members that you have as we choose to step up as well. Okay? So I'm going to um, have this as a theme today. And I'm going to um, probably talk a little bit in a shaky voice because, uh, again, like I said, I'm thankful. Okay? I'm thankful. All right, so today's um, message is this. The unshakable life moves compassion. <clears throat> Golly, okay, it begins. <laughs> All right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the unshakable life um, moves compassionately towards people. Golly. With the gospel through word, deeds, and power, Okay. Words, deed, and power. And if we're, oh, golly, somebody's going to need to hold my hand today. <laughs> okay. okay. Words, deed, and power. Okay. And if we're going to um, talk about this uh, today, um, we're going to talk about it if you're taking notes in terms of the uh, five, um, five points that, that we're um, thinking through. Thinking through, first of all, that um, everyone can be a minister. We need to ask for boldness from God to be an effective minister. There's a real spiritual conflict um, in evangelism, but we have Jesus who we can depend on for miracle signs and wonders, and we're to go to the ends of the earth <clears throat> with the gospel, okay? So let's pray. Father, help. Help, help, help. Help us today to um, get into your word and to really be encouraged in all that you've done for us through Jesus and the cross, and help us to be good witnesses and testimonies of that as we go into the Christmas season. Help your word come alive to us, and even through my testimony, God, I pray that you would help us to um, see that your word works, um, that you can really save lives, and, and that you're ready to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Can you be patient with me today? Is that okay? Okay. All right. Golly. I don't think this may, this may not make it to the podcast. <laughs> They'd be like, what? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Here we go. 
2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 20. He starts off by saying this. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And he says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. All right. Here's what, here's what I'm going to tell you up front because the time is already quickly passing and I see that um, it's going to be hard to get through each of the scriptures. Um, this, a lot of the scriptures that I'm going through today were actually, can actually be found in our um, purple book, um, which we encourage everybody to do if uh, you have not done it yet. Um, so if I don't get through all the scriptures today, it'll be there for you in Bible study format. But here's um, the Apostle Paul um, talking, and this is a familiar scripture um, to most of us. Um, but we see that the gospel is this, that regardless of how you started out in your life, Jesus can make you new, right? No matter how you began, um, whether in sin or just not having the knowledge of God, Jesus can reach you, give you the knowledge of himself, and make you new. He can actually literally transform your life. He can reconcile you to God, bring you from being an enemy to God, um, of God because of your evil behavior, and actually bring you into friendship with God because of the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did as a substitute for all of us there. The good news is, is that I, again, was one of those people. I did not grow up in the church, and I'm probably somebody that you would have seen on a regular basis on the streets of Chicago. I, I grew up in an educated home. I grew up where... Um, Realistically speaking, by the world standards, my family was moralistic. They were moralistic in the sense that they didn't do wild and crazy things, um, but they were working jobs. They were doing their best to provide for their family. They were doing their best to raise uh, um, children who were um, at least had their heads about them. And the thing about it, though, is that they said, hey, listen, by the standards of this world, Roland, do whatever you want and think whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody and you'll be fine. With that type of philosophy, that humanistic philosophy, I started to live like most people do. I lived in such a way where I ascribed to the philosophies of the world, right? I ascribed to all of the academic philosophies as well as to all of the moralistic philosophies. I um, <clears throat> was a party kid. Um, anybody have friends or family members who were party kids? Okay. I was a party kid. Didn't think much of it because why? Everybody was doing it. It wasn't much to drink. It wasn't much to um, um, be sexually immoral. It wasn't much 
much to um, hurt people over and over again, whether through my words or through the relationships that I would abuse. What I mean, not physically abuse, but emotionally abuse, right? I would go from relationship to relationship, having one girlfriend here, another girlfriend there, cheating on this person and that person, thinking that it was the way that the world ran, right? And the truth of the matter is that it was all sin. It was all sin. And the truth of the matter is, is that I was in the midst of that sin. I was a mocker of Christians. I was a mocker of Christians. I thought it was something that was weak. I thought it was something that people used as a crutch. I thought it was something that people only ascribed to if they had grown up in it. But because my parents didn't raise me in the faith, I didn't think I had any need of it or any use of it. But Jesus came and showed me otherwise. Jesus came and showed me otherwise. Now, I'll fast forward to my college days. What happened was is that even though I grew up with this um, mentality, I had a friend who, in the midst of my mockery, um, did what the Scripture said. I was a mocker. I was a party kid. But he started to look at me, not as the rest of the world would, just lumping me in with a group. But he said, I'm not going to look at him like the rest of the world. I'm going to look at him as Christ would. I'm going to look at him as Christ would. And Jesus said, I didn't come to call the healthy, but the sick. He started to look at me, his friend, as a sick individual. He said, I'm not coming to call the righteous, but the wicked to repentance, right? I'm calling those who do not know him to himself. And so my friend, because he didn't look at me like the rest of the world did, but instead looked at me as Jesus would, all of a sudden he started to reach out to me with the gospel. Now, why did he do that? He did it over and over again, not because he was an occupational minister, not because he was forced to do so. He did it just because he knew Jesus. He had the love of Christ in his heart. He understood the gospel, and he said, Jesus can change my friend's life. And so over and over again, he would invite me. He would invite me to Bible study. Over and over again, I would say no. Over and over again, he would invite me to a Christian retreat. Over and over again, I would say no. I didn't think I had need of it. You understand? I said, why would I go to something that's going to waste my time, my money, if I have no need of it? But he continued to reach out. Why? Because as the scripture says a little bit um, before what we just read, he said the love of Christ compelled him. The love of Christ compelled him. He loved me and he knew the truth of what my destiny was without Jesus. And so the love of Christ compelled him to be earnest and persistent with me persistent with me until one day I showed up and Jesus changed my world. Now, the good news is, is that whenever, um, whenever, uh, you are a Christian understanding your place as a minister, you can say what, uh, Paul said in Romans chapter one, he says, literally, I am under obligation. What my friend understood is that he was under an obligation. If he was my friend and he had the privilege of having relationship with me and others in his life, he was under an obligation not just to know Christ himself, but to make Christ known. And he said, Paul said this about the Romans, I'm under obligation both to Greeks who were the educated class of that day, and to barbarians, who were the Europeans um, of that time, you know, who were going around and literally they were plundering people. So they would have been the violent and the aggressive and um, those that you would have been literally in the physical, at least, scared to approach. He said, I'm obligated, under obligation, both to Greeks educated and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. 
So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And so all of a sudden, Paul, who was a Jewish man himself, who had received Jesus as Lord based on the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus from the Jewish scriptures, he said, this gospel, this good news first belongs to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, who was everybody but the Jews, right? And I fell into that camp, the Gentile camp camp, right? I was not, did not grow up Jewish, but God had a word and a testimony for me. And because this friend of mine had an obligation in his heart to share this Jesus with me, I eventually broke and showed up at one of those Bible studies. Now, how many people know that that can be good news and sort of like the breath of fresh air after years of prayer, ministry, and just reaching out? Anybody ever have that happen before? You had a friend that you were just inviting over and over and over again. And when they saw you coming, they're like, ah, ah, let me stop you right there. I know exactly what you're going to ask me. And yes, I'll come tonight. Yes, I'll come tonight. What kind of good news would that be? If somebody finally showed up, some family member or friend that you'd been inviting over and over and over again, not giving up on them, just like Jesus never gave up on us. I eventually showed up because of an obligation that this young man um, felt in his heart towards Christ and therefore towards me. What he understood was what Paul continued to talk about in Romans chapter 10, starting in uh, verse 14. He said this, how then, talking about me who did not grow up in the church, he said, how then will they call on, on him in whom they have not believed? How am I going to call upon him? I love the um, gospel because of the fact that he says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ. The reason I believed what I believed up to that point is because it's what I was saturated in in my culture. All the movies, all the television that I listened to, all the books that I read, all of the academic atmosphere that I surrounded myself in, it was telling me one thing, and that's what I believed. But when I started to hear the message of Christ through this young man and through others, all of a sudden faith started to be birthed in my heart, and I started to believe the good news that my life could be different through this Jesus, this God-man who became incarnate and said he wanted to change my life. Faith comes by hearing. But how was I supposed to call on him in whom I have not believed? Let me tell you something. I did not know how to pray. I love talking to people in this city when I'm sharing the good news with them. And one of the first things when they're responding to Jesus is, all right, I want to believe, but how do I pray? I don't know how to talk to God. That's where I was. I didn't know if it was something scientific or something supernatural or super spiritual. I was just like, somebody needs to coach me through it. And he like... He basically told me to chill out. I mean, he said, just like you're talking to me, talk to God. God will hear you and God will respond to you. But in the um, course of things, he understood. How am I going to even call on him if I've not believed in him? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone? Everybody say someone. Someone preaching. How are they to hear unless someone preaches? Let me tell you, I love, 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 love St. Francis of Assisi, but like he like is misquoted a lot of times in saying, you know, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. How many people have heard that before? Okay, but let me tell you what people don't understand, understand about St. Francis. He was a preacher. So even in the midst of him saying, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words, he was, yes, living an example that would validate his message, but never replace it. And in the same way, what we see is that the reason my eyes were open was because somebody actually took the time to preach to me so that faith could be birthed in my heart. 
I did not believe before. I did not know. How was I supposed to call on the one I'd not believed in? How was I supposed to believe unless somebody preached to me of, 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 in the one that I've never heard of? And how was I going to hear unless somebody, my friend, took the time to preach to me? But he did. And I'm so thankful. Now, how did my friend know to come to me in the first place? My friend knew to come to me because I was the one he knew. A lot of times we think that it's people who are far off and, you know, some far off land that we have to go to to validate our ministry before the Lord. We make it a lot more exotic or a lot more romanticized than we think it should be, right? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You think if you're to be on mission with God, you have to go overseas somewhere. To be on mission with God, you actually have to go, you know what I mean, to some exotic location that you've never heard the name of and like say that Jesus can do something there. Now, can he do something there? Is he going to? Absolutely, yes. But the truth is, is that where he wants to start is right next door. Where he wants to start is in our workplace. Where he wants to start is in our friendship group. Where he wants to start is in our school. Those are the people that he wants to reach. That's what my friend understood. And so he therefore reached out to me. Acts 10 verse 24 talks a little bit about Paul the apostle. And he was talking uh, as he was going through the Roman Empire. And it said that um, in uh, in this particular example, it was Peter. Peter, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he said that, and Peter was um, preaching, but he he was told by the Lord to go to a certain uh, man named Cornelius into his house. And it said on following, on the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. We see that God himself broke out in power amongst Cornelius's house when Peter was preaching because Cornelius, this man who hungered for God, called together his relatives and his close friends. And how many people know that sometimes that's the hardest place to start? (laughs) Okay. It's the relatives and close friends. Why? Why is it the hardest? Okay. Because they know you and they know me, right? And they also don't at times want to listen to the things that Jesus might be saying because they think that if you represent him, then I'm not about it. (laughs) But the thing is, is that even Jesus himself was without honor only in his own hometown. Do you, you, you understand that? But even then God was able to move. Even then, God was able to move in Nazareth. Even then, God was able to move amongst Cornelius' family and friends. You start there. Now, he was a friend of mine. He reached out to me, and I'm so thankful that he did. But the thing about it is, is he said this. It's not just in the um, um, public places that God wants to minister. This is a good setting, and we encourage you each week to bring friends that you're ministering to so that they can hear the word of God. But it's in public and from house to house. It's not just in settings like this. It's in your private time with people. It's when you're going to lunch with people. Let me tell you, my friend, 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 friend of mine, um, when he reached me, he encouraged me, Roland, be a minister wherever you are. Be a minister wherever you are. And you know what I did in college? I told you a little bit about my escort service. Um, not, again, the plan you were thinking of, but the, my escort service and library work and um, also my giving of plasma last week. Those were my jobs, <laughs> you know, in college. You know what I mean? But I also had a job at a bank. I worked at the bank, okay? And the thing about the bank was that um, I had a, you know, nine to five just like everybody else. And the thing is, is I'd like work my transactions, you know, try to work my way up the ladder. But what I'd also do is I'd go in there intentionally trying to preach. I'd, I'd, 
Oh, sure I would. I would like actually, you know, to be doing transactions for customers, hand them their money. <laughs> yeah, I'd be, be like, so what you doing this week? And, you know, just making like the small talk like you're at like a, like a barbershop or a bar or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> sort of like, what you doing this week? And they're like, I don't know. I was like, I'll tell you what I'm doing, you know, 5, 10, 15. I'm, I'm going to church, 20, but I need to tie that, uh, 25. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like the thing is, is that I would invite some of the people, you know what I mean, that I was talking to, but I would also work, talk to my coworkers. I talked to my coworkers so much so about the gospel and the things of God that eventually one of my coworkers, like who was a party girl herself, eventually came to me and said, you know what, Ron, you need to stop talking about this Jesus all the time. And I was like, excuse me? She's like, you need to stop, stop, stop talking about this Jesus or I'm going to get you fired. And I was like, huh. But you know what happened after that? I felt like the Holy Spirit of God rose up in me because I was thinking to myself, I was like, she's going to get me fired for talking about Jesus. But I hear every week about her drunken stupors and her sexual immorality, you know, and her exploits, her dirty exploits, you know what I mean, that she brags about week after week. And I rose something, rose up within me, and I said, hey, listen, why don't you stop talking about your mess all the time, all your party mess, or I'm going to get you fired. And she was like, whoa, hold on. (laughs) She backed up, went back to her accounting of cash. And you know what? She never said another word to me. She never said another word to me because of the fact that we always think that we're on the defensive as Christians, but you're not. Do you know that you're having things impressed upon you all the time that are contaminating your spirit, your mind, and your soul? And you are meant to bring light into that environment in which you find yourself. I saw that girl years later, and she was one of the kindest girls to me that I'd ever seen. I saw her in a restaurant. She got another job. Yeah, I mean, I was still in the same city that I was in. And after those experiences, I was reaching out to other coworkers, some of them who started considering Jesus for the first time. And the thing about it is she came to me at that restaurant. She's like, rah, 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 rah. you know, I could barely remember her name, but I was like, Hey, you, 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 you know, how you are sometimes <laughs> good to see you, <laughs> you know, and it's like, how you been? And she's like, Oh, I'm great. I'm great. And, you know, and start telling me about her life and everything like that. But that was the girl who gar- I garnered favor with because I stood with the Lord and not just back down in my own like protection of my own job or like security or feeling of rejection in the midst of the workplace. God said, I'm going to do something through your life that's similar to what your friend in college did for you in the workplace. And then I saw person after person start to open up to the gospel of Jesus. And it was good news for them too. Now it took some boldness to do that. That's the second point um, that we're on. And let me tell you, we need the Holy spirit himself to provide boldness the Holy Spirit himself to provide boldness. It is not something that you conjure up. It is not something that you grit your teeth about. That's when you get into the flesh. Okay. Anybody ever get into the flesh before when you try to represent Jesus? You, okay. Come on now. You have any passionate people in here. It's sort of like, listen, if you've ever gotten into the flesh trying to represent Jesus, you're in good company. Okay. I remember like being at like one of my first Thanksgivings after I'd gotten saved. You know what I mean? And going back home where my family hadn't started serving the Lord yet. And we had one of those family discussions. Anybody have those family discussions around the table. Okay. Anybody ever, those family discussions get a little bit heated sometimes. Okay. Yeah, just a little bit. Okay. So I had one of those discussions and I was trying to proclaim my faith, trying to proclaim what Jesus has done for me. And then all of a sudden I was getting like a little irritated and then I slammed my hand on the table. I was like, I told boom. And I was like, Oh, that didn't represent Jesus. Well, and they were like, 
because my dad was there too. And he was like, oh, you want to go? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. He didn't say that. But the point was I misrepresented him because I thought that was boldness when it's actually not. Boldness does not equate to anger. Boldness does not equate to being a jerk. Boldness does not equate to actually being an irritant to those around you. Matter of fact, boldness is something that the Holy Spirit gives you to speak the truth in love to speak the truth in love. And that's what we need to ask God for. Even in the midst of resistance, what I saw is that my friend had that Holy Spirit love whenever I was rejecting him over and over again, saying, I'm not interested in this gospel that you have. And it's what the uh, early disciples asked for in the midst of Acts, starting in verse four, um, um, chapter four, verse 29. He said, and now Lord, in the midst of their persecutions, the church was being persecuted. And he said, they said this, now Lord, look upon their threats. Look upon their threats. It wasn't just somebody rejecting them emotionally. It was somebody um, actually persecuting them in, the, in those days. And it said, and grant in your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, not when they gritted their teeth, not when they got, tried to muster something up, but when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with great boldness. They asked God for help and God himself strengthened their heart so that they could speak the truth in love. Sometimes what we need to do is just stop and ask God for help. In the moment, in the workplace, in our um, home environment, in our friendship group, we need to stop and ask God for help, for strength, and he'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and enable you to speak the word of God with great boldness. And we'll get to this moment in a moment, actually stretch out his hand to confirm his word. Proverbs 28.1 says it this way. He said, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but when you begin to ask God for the boldness that you need to be a witness for him, he said, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion, meaning that it's like in the midst of challenge, in the midst of opposition, you're not retreating, but you're moving forward in love. And that's what he says is the destiny and the testimony of the church that he's building. Proverbs 29, 25 says this on the other hand, though, there's the opposite side of the coin that the fear of man lays a snare. What often keeps us from even starting a conversation with people, as my friend did with me, is the fear of man. What are they going to think about me? What, how will they respond to me? Does anybody like myself develop scenarios in your mind before they even come to pass that they probably will never come to pass, but you think, oh, I can't go there because this will probably happen. Anybody ever do that? Okay, this is what he's saying. It's the fear of man that can grip us and prove to be a snare inside of us, keeping us from doing the very thing that we need to do. But he says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Whoever trusts in the Lord, that is, I'm going to let out this word, which is going to produce faith in people, but it's the Lord who's going to keep me safe in the midst of it all. And so much so that Paul said this, I'm asking not only that I pray to God in the moment and asking him, I'm asking him for boldness to preach myself, but I'm asking my brothers and sisters to pray for me as they know I'm intentionally going out to preach. Now here's the good news of the church. We're doing this together, right? We're doing this together. Can I tell you what encourages me throughout the week? I know that we're praying together for this city. That encourages me. 
I know that on Friday nights, at least people are coming together, praying and saying, God, open up doors for effective ministry. So when I go out into the week to minister to people, guess what? I have confidence that I'm doing. I'm going out in the prayers that have already gone ahead of me. You understand that? So God himself can move. You need to go in that same confidence, knowing that God wants to move in the hearts and minds of those that you know. So much so that Paul said this to the Ephesian church. He said, and also for me, pray for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change. Once again, that word ambassador, meaning a representative, you are an ambassador of Christ. You represent his kingdom. And he says that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And here's the thing, even in the midst of boldness, there is going to be spiritual conflict. There will be spiritual conflict that you're facing. What does real spiritual conflict look like? It is not the devil coming up to you with a pitchfork saying, ha, back off. They're mine. That is not spiritual conflict. Real spiritual conflict looks like this. When we look at the book of um, Corinthians again, Paul said this, second Corinthians chapter four, verse four, in their case, meaning those who do not believe yet. He says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So all of a sudden, before I was saved, there was a real and a literal blindness that was over my heart and mind so that I couldn't see Christ clearly. All I saw was church. Where I, um, after I moved down from New York, we grew up in um, um, a city called Charleston, South Carolina. Anybody ever been to Charleston? A beautiful city. Church on every corner, though. That's all I thought of, of Christianity, though. I knew plenty of friends who went there, but weren't representing Jesus. And so when I saw Christianity, all I saw was hypocrisy because the God of that age, this age had blinded my heart so I couldn't see Christ clearly. I couldn't see Christ clearly, but then when somebody preached the Bible to me and I knew that I was responsible, not to my friends I was pointing to as hypocrites, but to Jesus himself, then all of a sudden my eyes were open. You understand that? I was able to give a defense of Jesus and not just a hypocritical church. You understand that? There's a difference between the two. And my eyes were open so that I could see him clearly. And this is the same thing that exists in this city. They have a picture in their mind or a stereotype many times in their mind as to what Christianity is. How many people have friends or coworkers or family members with a stereotype in their minds? And it creates a blindness in their hearts and their minds. But through preaching the Bible, we can see Christ clearly clearly for what he is and not the error that we've been surrounded by. But what also, what also was I um, captured with? I was captured with, according to second um, Colossians two, eight, I was captured with hollow and deceptive philosophies, hollow and deceptive philosophies that kept me from the person of Christ. All of a sudden, what I had to do and what my friend had to break through was he had to break through humanism as if God, man was an end unto himself. He had to break through this idea of fatalism, thinking that all all things were going to uh, 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 sort of a predetermined course that couldn't be altered or turned in any fashion. He had to break through this evolutionary idea that I was going to die and that was it. There was no afterlife. He had to break through these hollow and deceptive philosophies that I was encamped in, but by continuing to teach me, continuing to reach out and continuing to preach to me, slowly but surely God was turning me. 
God was turning my heart. And this is what Paul's talking about in Colossians. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. I was captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. I was trapped in those things, but as they continued to reach out, I was turning. In the same way, this spiritual battle was working in my heart in terms of the anger that I had in my heart towards almost everything. You know, it's sort of like, like any, anything and everything would make me mad. And so, like, my friend had to understand that he could push my buttons. And if he was coming, like, towards me, you know, with this Jesus, that I could respond poorly. But what he had to understand is, according to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, that he wasn't fighting against me in flesh and blood, but there was another battle that was raging. He said as he was evangelizing to me or as he sharing the good news with me, he understood, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. No, this isn't like the beginning of Star Wars. This is basically talking about our very real and present thing that was affecting my heart. There was our anger that was in me that whenever he was speaking to me about things, I would have a vitrolic reaction. Anybody ever vitrolic reaction from somebody whenever you tried to share the faith with them? But my friend knew he shouldn't get in a yelling match with me. My friend knew that, listen, this isn't against flesh and blood. This isn't just against Rollin. You know what I mean? This isn't me versus Rollin here. This is Jesus versus the rulers and authorities that have taken his mind captive. This is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that are also active and at work in him right now. Do you know that no matter how sweet you think your friends are, if they are not serving Jesus yet, 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You know what? The, that's what the Bible says about the whole world minus those who belong to Jesus. I was one of those under the control of the evil one. Ephesians 2 talked about a spirit that was at work in me when I was disobedient. It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was a spirit of disobedience. And then he understood he wasn't fighting against me. He was actually praying and doing war against those rulers and authorities that held me bound. When he understood that, he could continue to march on and continue to love me, continue to invite me. And he would pray this way. He would pray this way because Jesus, even in John six forty four, said this. He said, you know what? I can't wrestle Rollin to the ground. I was bigger than him. He said, listen, I can't wrestle um, Rollin to the ground, but God can. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That even when you can't do it, God can. Even when you can't open somebody's eyes, God can. And Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. He began to pray that God himself would draw me. God himself would draw me to himself. And you know what? God did. God did. It's the same thing that happened to Lydia in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, Paul is, um, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16. Put these down. Acts chapter 16, Paul was going around preaching and he said that he came to a place of prayer and there was a woman named Lydia and it said that one who heard us, talking about Paul and his companions, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord, not Paul, but the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
And after she was baptized, meaning she responded to the message in her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to, see, um, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That was what happened with me. The Lord moved upon my heart so that not only was I saved, but then I started to ask others to meet him too, to meet him too. Now, for me in particular, it happened through not just the preaching of the word, but through signs and wonders that went along with it. Signs and wonders that went along with it. Jesus himself talked about the fact that signs and wonders would follow the preaching of the word so that the word wouldn't just come with word, but it would come with power. Not just with word, but with power. Now, for me, it was an example of what happened in uh, uh, John chapter 4. How many people remember the instance of the Samaritan woman? Samaritan woman, okay. If you've ever um, um, read the story, it was a woman who was um, a Samaritan, and the Samaritans were sort of a crossbreed between the Jewish people and a Gentile audience, you know, who the uh, Jewish people wouldn't associate with at the time. It was an ethnic divide, you know, because of what happened um, in their divided kingdom at the time. But anyway, they didn't want to associate with one another, and Jesus... He was going from place to place preaching, and he came to this village where there was a woman, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus was Jewish himself, and she was by a well drawing out water. And Jesus, it said, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. He sat down by the well, and then all of a sudden he, he said, listen, all right, I'm tired, but I'm bad about it. I'm tired, but I'm ready to move. Anybody ever realize that the time that God can move is when you feel the weakest? <laughs> Woohoo! That's good news. This is one of my favorite examples because when I feel weak, God strong, right? When I feel weak, God strong. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And then he said, hey, listen, lady, let me have a drink. Sounds pretty natural, doesn't it? Right? Let me have a drink. And she said, listen, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. There's ethnic tension between us. I thought we weren't even supposed to be talking. I thought we weren't even supposed to be talking. He said, hey, listen, if you knew who was asking you for water, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water, which springs up into eternal life. And she was like, all right. <laughs> it's one of those like awkward transitions, right? That's okay. Let me, can I, can I, can I free your heart real quick to be effective in ministry? It's okay to be awkward. Hello. <laughs> if you want to be perfect and minister, you'll never do it. It is okay to enter into ministry awkwardly, and God will still move. That's one of the freeing things in my heart. Listen, like, like I felt like, you, know, you ever get a vision from God when you pray? And sort of like get a picture in your mind of something he's trying to communicate to you? Uh, let me tell you what freed my heart. I had a picture in my mind when I was praying about God freeing me from the fear of man, and it was me like cliff jumping. And I felt like I, I was like waiting, waiting, waiting for the right time, the right time to do it, the right time to enter into conversation with people. And then I just saw myself breaking for the cliff and jumping and going, <laughs> you know, and just like doing it, right? If you've ever cliff jumped, that's what you got to do, right? You can't look over the cliff talking about, oh, I wonder if there are any rocks down there. Yes, there are rocks down there, okay? But if you're going to do it, you just got to run at it and close your eyes and be like, I'm flying. I hope it's okay, you know, and then in the same way, God will move. You understand? God will move in the same way. So all, don't worry about the awkwardness. Jesus didn't. Okay. So all of a sudden he's talking to the Samaritan woman. And then all of a sudden she says, all right, listen, listen, here's a, here's the thing. Jesus, I know like, um, <clears throat> I, I, I hear you want to um, get all awkward with me, but Jesus said this. He said, go call your husband. 
And she was like, okay, listen, this was awkward at the beginning. Now he's trying to get all personal. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't have a husband, dude. You know what I mean? And then Jesus broke her down. He said, I know. Oh, I know, lady. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're now with isn't your husband. And she was like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's like, how how did he know? (laughs) You know, I could see that you're a prophet. All of a sudden, the secrets of her heart were laid bare. And how many people know that Jesus had her attention after that point? Because the power of God was displayed. That's exactly what happened to me. I went to this Bible study, and then all of a sudden, you know what I mean? They were doing their, you know, Christian thing, and all of a sudden, it was great and good. And I was like, I was actually, B will tell you, she thought I was a jerk. You know, when I showed up there, that's her first impression of me because I was, I admit it. You know what I mean? But I was awkward. They were asking, hey, do you want to um, share? What did you get from this passage? And I was like, pass. And they were like, Okay, God bless you. You know, like like went around, and the and the thing the thing is though that afterwards the campus minister at the time came up to this jerk and he was like, hey, hey, let me talk to you for a minute. And I was like, yeah, all right. I was trying to, you know, how you know as you're trying to get out of there, you know, it's like time's up, you know, time to party, you know. But the thing is, is that I stopped and all of a sudden he started to talk to me a little bit about my personal life, my situation, not asking me any questions, mind you, but declaring things about my life. And I was like, wait, oh, started talking to me about my life at home, what I was doing here on the campus when I'd arrived. You know what I mean? A little bit about my family situation. I was like, well, well, excuse me, did my mother call you? (laughs) I was like, how in the world do you know these things? He was like, I don't. The God who made you and is making himself known to you is the one who's showing you he's alive and real. And how many people know that at that point he had my attention? He had my attention. I was like, all right, what, what you got to say? And then he preached that eternal gospel to me about my sin, about repentance, about the cross of Jesus, about his resurrection from the dead and how he could make me new. And how many people know that God apprehended my heart in that moment? He apprehended my heart because I saw the power of God. I heard the gospel. Faith was birthed in my heart. And then I turned. And let me tell you, on that night, I was born again. Uh, Thank you, Cole. It's happy for me. It's like, listen, on that night, I was born again. And let me tell you, it's been different ever since. I left that place, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And all I wanted to do on my campus was preach. I would go up and down the dorm rooms, you know what I mean, in my scrubs, you know what I mean? And like, you know, knock on the door talking about, put out that weed, you know what I mean? And they're like, open up, she's trying to, you know, she's trying to talk to you, you know what I mean? And then I would talk to people over and over again, friends, you know, who used to party with me were getting saved. Why? Because they were like, wait, 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 Rollin, is that you? I was like, yes, it's me. Yes, it's me, but I'm a new creation. And all I knew was John 3.16. All I knew. They were like, listen, I'll just preach it over and over again. For God so loved the world, I give his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They're like, great, Roland. You told me that last time. You didn't know anything else? I was like, not yet, but I will. <laughs> I will. You know, I'm going to keep reading my Bible. You see? And then the same work that God did in me, he started to do in my friends. And then we started Bible studies and campus work. And other people started getting saved. And he will do the same with us. But it was the power of God that unlocked my heart so that I could see that God was real and that he wanted to change my life just as he changed others' lives. That's why Jesus gave his church this encouragement. John 14, verses 12 through 14. This is a crazy one to me, but it's true. Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever 
please everybody say whoever. Whoever believes in me. And that's us in here, right? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. He didn't say just say the things that I do. He said do the works that I do. You see, there's a distinction there. Do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is like, listen, I did my job. I'm going to the cross. I'm out. Holy Spirit's here. It's on you. Now, greater works will you do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, which means according to his will, not just, you know, Lord, I, want, I pray for that beamer. You know, listen, know what, according to his will, if you ask anything according to his name, he said, I will do it. And that's where we see him going, not just in our personal lives, but to the ends of the earth. And that's where we're going to end up in Acts chapter 1-8. Um, I think Reggie spoke about this, at least mentioned it a couple weeks ago. But he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is your hometown, in all Judea. For us, it would be like the Chicago land area, right? Downtown Chicago, Jerusalem. Judea, the Chicago land area, and Samaria, that'd be our greater U.S. population, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're believing to do. Not just see God move here in Chicago in our lives, but go all throughout our Jerusalem, our Chicago, our Chicago land area, plant churches domestically in the U.S., and then to the ends of the earth. But it starts with us doing the everyday things the simple things of loving our Jesus and letting his love be known. Amen. All right. Got through it. <laughs> Got through it. I'm telling you, I was holding myself together right now. I can laugh now. I'm going to exhale now, but I was like, <laughs> okay, listen, it's good news. It's good news. And the foundation that we're going to build this church on is not only loving Jesus and knowing him, but making him known. Can everybody say amen to that? We will never be a place that just comes together week after week and just goes through the motions. That's not this church. You understand that? We are here to love him, to honor him, and to make him known. So let's stand to our feet and worship him, and then we'll go out with some prayer. To learn more about the many activities at Second City Church, search online for secondcitychurch.org. That's 2ndcitychurch.org. For all the information you need, sign up for our email and stay up to date on all upcoming plans and events.